0: Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, recorded live at River Road Studios. Today's show is brought to you by the Herbal Nerd Society. Hey, Candace, why don't you tell us about the Herbal Nerd Society?
1: The Herbal Nerd Society is a collection of wonderful herbalists and budding herbalists who are supportive of Real Herbalism Radio and Practical Herbalist. They pay a monthly dues for us, and mm-hmm. that helps us continue to do what we love to do, yep. which is this podcast. Yep,
2: uh, podcast and um, if people look at our website, they'll find that it is
1: huge. There's article
2: after article after article, and we have um, started to ask, adding more guest articles. So, the way that we do that, it is an expensive process and it's time consuming. And we really appreciate your support. Mm-hmm. So,
1: and we have a announcement for Herbal Nerd Society members and folks who are thinking about joining. Mm-hmm. Um, our pricing needs to go up. We've had some increases in price, costs of hosting and all of that stuff yep. over the last year. So we are going to be increasing our prices as of September 1st, 2019. Mm-hmm. Those of you who are already supporting members, your prices stay just as they are. Anybody who wants to get in on those prices, you want to sign up before September 1st so mm-hmm. that you can get the what we'll call the legacy pricing. And then as of September 1st, it's going up. Yep.
0: All right. So
1: you want to tell them what it's going up to, so they know what they're signing up for.
0: Well, I thought we were going to leave that a little secret, so they'd have to, you know, they had September first, you know. But yeah, if yeah. It's five it, uh, billion
1: dollars, a month. It'd be five billion a month. Right. Billion. No, no, I think we should tell them now. We, so they make <laughs> informed decisions.
0: We've looked at all the different numbers and different ways to do this, and the, the way that seemed to be mathematically the best for all. Was to go to a monthly repeating um, subscription versus the monthly that's up billed quarterly or versus the year. Mm-hmm, so right. now it'll be $9.99 a month and that'll be billed um, every month on your credit card as it, as it is now uh, if you have the um, quarterly um, uh, membership. Uh, the yearly is going away. So if you have a yearly one now, it'll continue to be honored. But uh, so, if you're thinking about joining, or we're kind of on the fence and wanted to support us, and this is a great way to support us and then save some money. So, starting September 1st, it'll be a monthly uh, membership, and it'll be $9.99 a month. And we're still going to try to offer, you know, the book raffles that that we get, and some of the other, you know, fun things that happen. Uh, for Herbal Nerd Society members.
1: Yeah, in fact, I think we're going to be seeing at least one more raffle coming up because there's already one title that I'm looking at on our shelf that we have extra copy of. So. Sure. Yeah. We don't want to tell folks what that is yet, but we should have a raffle coming up soon.
0: Please. All right. Okay, on with the show. Whether it's allergy season, fire season, or cold and flu season, we herbalists love to draw on the healing power of the plants to soothe, heal, and heal and balance our respiratory system. Today we're talking with Maria Noel Gros, author of Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies and Body Into Balance and owner of and herbalist at Wintergreen Botanicals about harvesting and making medicine from your lung tonic and herbal retiny, remedy garden. Now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe.
2: I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real, Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Welcome back, Maria. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's we get to have you a fourth time? Is this yes, the fourth time we've had you? Yeah. Woo-hoo.
3: Nice. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate the uh shameless plugs and the great <laughs> conversation.
2: Yeah, we have no shame. Delicious
3: meals. And- yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: So we we invited you back to talk a little bit more about that lung health thing that we talked about way back in may june, was it june, june? june. It was june okay yeah. it gets a little confusing to me my my sense of time is is losing as i get older and more refined it does uh, seem ages ago it does seem ages ago yes it does so we talked initially i believe that was in podcast 190 for people that want to go back and look at that about growing herbs for your lungs. And I want to talk about that. But first, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about your life as an herbalist and kind of how you became the expert that you are. Just real brief.
3: Well... I'll start back when I was about five years old. Uh, I've always been interested in plants, and in college, my life kind of got derailed by herbal medicine. I was getting my journalism degree, and I started to fall in love with herbs, and so all my writing ended up being about it, and I decided to study herbalism and become an herbalist and study that. Southwest School of Botanical Medicine with Michael Moore and also did other programs with Rosemary Gladstar and other folks. And now I have a practice where I see clients, teach classes and write about herbs. So it's really all about education. And my, my mantra is good health grows in nature because whether you're taking herbs as medicine or you're eating healthy food or you're just spending time out in nature, there's just so many ways that nature helps us be healthier.
2: Mm-hmm. So the name of your business and the name of the pr- the garden that you have, the property that so you have. Yeah. So
3: I work out of my home and I have an office, a classroom and gardens and it's wintergreen botanicals oh. in Allentown, New Hampshire. Oh. And then I have my, my two books, Body into Balance, which came out about three years ago. And this new one that's come out in April of this year, Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies.
2: Nice. Well, I've seen pictures of the garden. I haven't been there yet, but... Uh, my aversion to flying, I guess we'll have to get over that at some point. We jump might just on have a to line do a
1: big long road trip
2: a road trip, yeah. yeah, oh, get on a train.
1: That'd be fun. It definitely oh. looks better. You
3: know, we have a very short season in New yeah. Hampshire, so really, like late June into like August is the the prime it's time really that winter. it actually looks nice, but it's just a humble garden it's it's just a home garden with teaching garden. I do have hundreds of species there, but it's not like. This big, huge show garden or botanical garden, that's but you got chickens too. I do have a few chickens. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, have I have a
2: guess. dog. Yay! Yeah. And I am a chicken-hearted woman. So, yeah. Are- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. The preface on that one. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that are specifically in your new book, and.
1: Well, you know, we all went out after listening to the last podcast and we put whorehound in our garden. We found our wild black cherry or choke cherry. We got plantain. We got marshmallow leaf. Um, What was the other one that we had in there?
2: Uh, Plant. Let's see. uh,
1: Mullen. Mullen. We found our mullein. So now we we know where these plants are. What's the wisest way to go about with our harvesting? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So to harvest it, you know, it's
3: good to first make sure that you've correctly identified your plant. So, you know, pull out your field guides if you're wildcrafting, make sure that it really is what you think it is cuz mistakes happen all the time. One of the big ones that can happen with mullen is that sometimes people will mistake it foxglove for it and that's a particularly yes. lethal Mix mm-hmm. up. And yeah. even some of the I use the broadleaf plantain because it's much easier to identify. It's more abundant where I am, but the lance leaf plantain can look a little bit like some of the lance leaf foxglove species too. So you just want to oh. make sure that you really know what you're harvesting. And even when you get something from a garden center, sometimes things are mislabeled. So go online and look up images and botanical descriptions and make sure there aren't really good field guides for cultivated plants, but mm-hmm. that can help make sure that really is what you were sold. But But uh, and then when you're harvesting, a lot of these things are leafy materials. So for things like mullein and plantain and marshmallow, you're going to harvest about, you know, one third to two thirds of the plant material. If it's something that is branching, like, for example, Um, marshmallow is a plant that kind of grows up and the leaves are branching off the stems, you could go and harvest maybe about one third to two thirds down the stem and leave a couple sets of leaves behind. Or you could, if it's something that has several plants growing kind of out of one spot, which happens with marshmallow sometimes too, you could just kind of cut down one whole section of it, but Mm -hmm. then leave several other stalks present. Kind of like thinning. Yeah, exactly. Something. You can yeah. thin mm-hmm. that out and use those leaves, but you know, the, and then you're going to focus on the happy, the happy leaves, any happy mm-hmm. flowers. And whorehound is like that too. It's a much smaller plant, but you can kind of cut it down, yeah. you know, one quarter to uh, one one third to two thirds. But for something like plantain or mullen, when it's still growing from the ground in a basal rosette, it's not branching up, so that one you just might harvest about one third of the leaves off the base, like down to the ground, but then make sure to leave. You know, one third to two thirds still there, so the plant can still grow. Yeah, not so much of a
2: problem of of uh, with plantain, at least in our area. Yes, but, yeah. Don't I you worry have about it. The
3: woodchucks for plantain, so I end up really. Buying, you know, I do have plantain on my property, wow. but I the woodchucks come and eat all the leaves on me, so I end up wow. buying it from local farms. Nice. Which is funny because it's a really That's common hilarious. weed. So that yeah. one I, I grow, but I mostly buy from other places. So wow.
1: You talk about happy leaves a happy lot leaves. throughout the book, which I love. When we say happy, we're talking about leaves that are? They look
3: beautiful. And sometimes they you know, might even taste good. If it's a flavorful herb, they might smell nice. It's a, if it's an aromatic herb, a lot of these herbs in this particular garden are not aromatic, but just they look happy. They're not like really weather beaten and chewed up. And if if there's a little bit of a bug chew on it, whatever, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But generally you want leaves that look
1: vibrant yeah Yeah, good color a nice green and vibrant Mm -hmm. or whatever the color and that might be be
3: especially be just before or just just as the plant is flowering is often when it's happiest, Mm -hmm. and if it's not perfectly happy but you really need the plant and that's what you have in front of you then you can make do I and mean, my teacher michael moore would say the best time to harvest a plant is when you're in front of it just being mm-hmm. kind of practical because sometimes he was sense. only in front of you know dandelions once a year so yep. you're in front of them so harvest them he mm-hmm. lived in the desert and uh but ideally if you have the choice if they're growing in your yard you would harvest them right nice and happy and once things flower a lot of times they get kind of tired looking
2: right yeah. and people should remember that when it comes to harvesting you'd Harvest what you predict you will use for the year. Most of these that you have mentioned are very, very easy to get a hold of. Storing it for a few years, a dry plant can get – it can lose its chlorophyll quickly. Mm -hmm. So storage is a big part of it. But for most of these, you don't have to – to store more than a year's worth. You really, really don't.
3: Yeah, maybe two if you don't think you're going to come across it yeah. every year. But yeah, one or two years is plenty. And it's mm-hmm. interesting that a lot of these herbs you can buy in commerce, but the quality in commerce is terrible. And mm. it's not necessarily that they don't keep while they're dry. You know, there are some plants that lose their properties very quickly once they're dry. None of these plants that we're talking about are in that boat. But yet what you get commercially is just brown and dusty and, yeah. and not yeah. very you know good flavor and a wild cherry should smell kind of a little bit like cherry, like maretto, maraschino, cherry kind of flavor. And a lot of what you get is just not impressive. So, yeah. you know, for things like the cherry bark and whorehound leaves and even plantain leaves to some extent, they have it's a so much to better them. to mm-hmm. harvest your own because what's on the market is generally low quality, unless you're buying directly from an organic farm that's growing and selling it that season. But Mm -hmm. the bigger suppliers, the quality isn't great. So that's one of the big perks of making your own medicine is that you do have access to like the most beautiful plant material possible. Mm -hmm. And then for many of these, you can dry them. And so for drying them, you're just going to put them in like a relatively flat layer on a screen. I will often use a brown paper bag and just kind of loosely put the leaf material in a brown paper bag, cinch it shut with a clothespin and put it in the windshield of my car on a warm ish sunny day. Mm-hmm. It's a really hot day. You might crack the windows or put it on the seat of the car, the trunk of the car, as long as it's clean. And uh, those would be some ways that you could turn your car into a dehydrator. But you could also use a regular dehydrator set at like 95 to maybe 110 degrees. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to go much more than that. And I have been known to take a thermometer, like a, a temperature thermometer, and put it in my car so I can assess how hot so that it doesn't get too hot Mm. because aromatics especially for something like wild cherry if you heat it up too much while you're drying it you'll lose a lot of the healing properties of it and so those are just some ways that you can dry it i also have started getting they have like hanging vinyl basket kinds of things that you can hang and then just Mm. let things air dry or you can hang them in by bundles and just hang them Mm. off of
2: out of sunlight Out of sunlight sunlight
3: would be better. And then also one of the problems I run into where I am, it's pretty humid and things never dry 100%. So I might get them most of the way dry, but if they still have any bendy stems or anything like that, then I might crisp them up in the car or the dehydrator just before I go to process them. Mm -hmm. And even – it's so humid where I am. Even if I have them totally dry and then I bring them inside in the kitchen to process them and I don't get to them for a couple hours – they, they will absorb, start to reconstitute yeah. just a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. not my ideal. I want them to be totally dry so that way they're not fermenting or molding right. in yeah. storage. And so I will like put them back out to recrisp again, and then you can garble mm-hmm. where you're just garbling is that fancy term for removing leaves from stems and crunching yep. them up into smaller pieces and store them in a. Minnow. I usually do glass jars in a really dark, too. dry
2: spot. And throw in yeah. desiccant, uh, yeah. desiccant in there. You can also use the the fancy uh, paper that for, uh, you know, that pulpy kind of paper that people make.
1: Oh yeah, for pressing flowers.
3: Right, for
2: pressing flowers, you can throw um, pieces of that in as a desiccant. Okay,
3: oh, so nice. I've heard of people using rice for that too. I've yeah. never done that. I usually just make sure everything's totally dry mm-hmm. and
0: put it. You know,
3: if I was growing, if I had things in the tropics, I'd probably need to put a you so in it. Because it, yeah. it's really hard to keep things totally dry in the tropics. But, right. um In New Hampshire, I've been okay without You're that. You're pretty
2: far from the the tropics. Just there, a little, so, yeah. just a little far, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Canada,
3: yeah. Yep. Uh, and on that note, you can also work with them fresh. So a lot of times if I'm making other remedies with them, if I'm making syrups or tinctures, I almost always just use them fresh because mm-hmm. it's easier than sure. drying them and then yeah. making medicine. The one exception to that would be cherry. That is one that I prefer for... Potential safety reasons, it's better to do dry than fresh. Yeah. Um, not so that, it, not that it's the end of the world if it's fresh, but all the other ones are, I just work with them fresh if I'm making various remedies with them.
2: What kind of remedies?
3: I love to tincture all of them, actually. And then you can also do syrups are a great way to target the respiratory system, especially when things are kind of from the throat down. You know, if they're up in the sinuses, you could still use a syrup, but um, you could do a steam or something like that instead. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so syrups, tinctures, those are the two things I make most often, but you can also do oxymels. You can make glycerin extracts. You can just really make many things, vinegars, Mm. herbal vinegars, fire cider. doesn't use the herbs in this particular garden, but would definitely be supportive for lung stuff, especially like grungy, infectious kinds of things. Fire cider would be nice, which is if you're not already aware, I know you guys are, Yes, but if any of your (laughs) your listeners aren't aware, it's just kind of vinegar, maybe some honey thrown in, and you just do all sorts of pungent root vegetables. So horseradish, ginger, garlic, Uh, And you can throw whatever else you want in there, onions, cayenne peppers, Mm -hmm. hot peppers, whatever hot pepper you have on hand. And that's just a really nice, warming, moving, antimicrobial blend.
1: Yeah. So when it's allergy season or we're moving through the fire season, so the air quality is really poor, or even getting into cold and flu season. But I'm really thinking about where there's lung irritants in the air or Mm -hmm. things that are causing irritation in your lungs. You've got this wonderful soothing lung tea. Yes. Could you talk a little bit about what that's about?
3: Yeah. So this is so teas are usually better made with dry plant material. Occasionally there are exceptions, but but herbs do lend themselves better to water if they've been dried first across the board mm-hmm. generally. And uh and so this is one that you would make with the dried herbs, and we're including just about equal parts and using mullen leaf, which is just really soothing supportive, restorative for the lungs, a little bit cooling in nature. We have marshmallow leaf or root. And personally for this tea blend, I would prefer to use the leaf just because it tastes better and it infuses so nicely. A little and less gloppy, potential. It's a little definitely mm-hmm. less slimy and gloppy, but yet still has that soothing demulcent like mouthfeel, velvety mouthfeel to it. And it has a nice flavor as well. It's just kind of mild a green, but it's a pleasant flavor plantain leaf, that one's a little bit more astringent, but also demulcent or soothing at the same time. Also it's a little bit antimicrobial properties if you're looking for that, but not but more it's just kind of soothing and restorative. That's kind of the the theme of this soothing lung tea, and then we want something for flavor because none of those are bad tasting herbs, but they're not particularly flavorful herbs either. And mm-hmm. so you can throw whatever you want for flavor into that. So fennel seeds would work. Fennel seeds kind of work on that anti spasmodic, soothing, but give a little bit of a licoricey flavor to it. Or if you want something a little bit more for breaking up congestion, easing sp- like spasms and the coughs and sore throats and those kinds of things, pain. Uh, peppermint would be a good inclusion for that if you like peppermint. So and then,
1: for, not for those of us that decided to like really go for it and take the your idea about the Korean mint. Uh, yes, I just like, I'm looking that. at going, that's fennel and peppermint. Would that work? Yes, it
3: would. And it's kind of funny. I'm looking at the recipe going, oh, huh, why do I not have that as a potential ingredient? Maybe I just, you know, it's in a lot mint. of the other tea recipes that are in this book. But Korean licorice mint or anise hyssop would also be excellent flavoring agents for this tea. And that would still have a little bit of that fennel licorice-y flavor, but they're actually in the mint family and have a little bit of nice spasmodic but soothing activity at the same time. And they taste really good. So they'd be nice in here too. And you could definitely, all the recipes in the book are very simple. They don't call for very many ingredients because I don't want you to feel like, oh, I can't make that because I just don't have that one herb or those two herbs in the blend. It's really meant as a guide to inspire you in some of my favorite recipes. And then you can throw more in if you want to. So optional additional ingredients if you have them and you want to throw them in and you're thinking about their medicinal benefits, nettle leaf would be nice, Mm -hmm. especially for like a little bit of an antihistamine. You know, nettle dry leaf is nowhere near as antihistamine as the fresh tincture would be, but it's still a nice supportive. And then wild cherry, if you want to kind of help open up the lungs and wild cherry tends to be really useful when things are dry and irritated and that irritated hacking, non-productive cough, whereas we'd use whorehound for that more mucousy cough. You know, they're both useful for coughs, but a little bit different. But Jorhan tastes disgusting. So that's another reason why that's not in the tea blend. Your is a little bit more of a drying mm. herb, but is antimicrobial and tastes pretty good. It's got a little, little bit of a cherry eucalyptusy flavor. We don't have that out where I am, but it's pretty common in the like California area, mm-hmm. and you can so purchase then- it. Mm-hmm. There are potentially some sustainability concerns, though, with that, which is too bad. Thyme, bee balm, licorice. If you need something that's kind of calming, for not just for your emotions, but also for your lungs, then passion flower is good. And it might seem like not what you would be thinking about for lung stuff. But usually when we're having a hard time breathing, it's really stressful. I mean, that can be a medical, a a need to get medical. You know, if you're having a hard time breathing and you could yeah. be having an allergic reaction With or asthma. really severe, you know, mm-hmm. asthma, you might need to get medical attention. You know, difficulty breathing is a cause yeah, yeah. to go see medical attention. But, um, but if you already kind of know, like this is just kind of what my body does, but it's still really stressful, passion flower in your tea is kind of soothing for the lungs, but it's also really soothing for the nervous system at the same mm, time. And even things nice. like asthma yeah. are often tied, you know, you might get more of an asthmatic response if you're really stressed out and anxious. So yeah. it goes lung issues. And
1: a lot of times when you're stress having coughs and sideways. respiratory lung issues, it's very hard to sleep. So you're mm, run down, that's a good point. which then makes it easier for the illness to stay and harder yeah. for your lungs to kick it out. So Yep. You need the sleep. You need yep. to rest. And some people will
3: find if they put... Passion flower into their tea in the middle of the daytime that they get a little sleepy. So be aware of that. And then evergreens would be another ingredient that you could throw in here, especially if you want oh. more like aromatics, it would give you some flavor. So, you know, not every evergreen, but a lot of the evergreens can be used medicinally. So most of oh. your firs, spruces, um, we have hemlock trees, which are not the same as hemlock. Right, poison. right. And poison, poison hemlock, hemlock totally different plants, just unfortunately similar names. But hemlock, evergreen tree can be really nice in there. Pine.
0: Mm-hmm. And so there
3: are a lot that of different for- evergreen options. Douglas fir. We don't have that where we are, simusafuga. but you guys yeah. do out here, right? We do. Yeah. So then you Lots. just use the needles, fresh or dry for those. They're they're quite nice either way.
1: Yeah, for Douglas fir, it would definitely be really helpful if you have too much dampness because it's mm-hmm. just slightly drying. <laughs> yeah. Compared oh, to like pine.
2: Yeah, sima, uh I said simasifuga is an accident, <laughs> and it was simasunga is what I meant to say. Sorry.
3: So yeah, you can yeah. easily adapt Sudesonga. this Sudesonga. recipe. Sudesonga. Based on what flavors you like, what other herbs you have on hand, and also what what's going on. I mean, with the respiratory system, yeah. there's so much energetics really obviously at play. Like we can tell, like, is it a wet cough or a dry cough? Are things hot and dry and irritated, or are they cool and moist and damp and boggy? And so moving, you can yeah. shift the recipe accordingly. But the basic tea is really geared for that kind of irritated but on the dry side, which would be very common, especially with fire and lung irritants. So
2: when you're saying evergreens, you're talking about throwing some fir needles in or pine noodles in.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yes.
2: Not don't chop down a tree and try to stuff that in your coffee. Yeah. And no, so. just
3: prune off a little, a few little of that, the, the distal tips. branches. So the outer parts of the branches yeah. and you can use the needles fresh or dry.
1: Yep. Oh, that sounds delicious. Very so yummy. let's let's talk a little bit about the whorehound cough syrup. That was the other one that I found interesting.
3: Yeah, so this is a super simple uh, recipe in that it only calls for one herb, whorehound. Yeah, which is and a, f-
1: well, I'm not going to say it's a foul-tasting herb because that's really mean, but it is It's not the best tasting. Bitter. It's horribly it's bitter. bitter. It's yeah. very bitter.
3: It's it's pretty simple, very bitter. It is also yeah. kind of almost oily in its consistency. It's got a lot of aromatics, but not aromatics that kind of register register to us yeah. on a inhalation side, but it is does have a lot of those oily constituents at the same time. And so you could make a tea from it. It would work, but it would be so bitter. It would be nauseating. Yeah. you so, found a much
1: better way to yeah. deliver this in a way that's actually tasty.
3: I often tincture it, but it is a popular ingredient for syrups and honeys as well. And so this particular syrup recipe is a little different from your traditional syrup where you make a strong tea. Sometimes you even simmer it for a while and condense it down. And then you just add an equal amount of sugar. So however much water you have, you add the same amount of sugar to it, and then Mm -hmm. you have a syrup. This one is a little bit different in that it's kind of like a cross between making an herbal honey and an alcohol extract or a tincture. And it works really well, and it's got a great shelf life, which is nice because I am Mm -hmm. a fan of of shelf life. I hate making things, and then like three months later, they've gone bad. I don't have time for that. So, And I don't mind working with alcohol, so I uh, yeah. so this one you use just a little bit more, like three ounces of vodka, just regular hundred proof vodka, per two ounces of local raw honey. It's not heated at all, so you're using fresh herb. Everything's cold processed, and you just chop up your herb. You shove it in the jar as tightly as you possibly can, and then cover it with those two ingredients. It is easier to start with the alcohol if you're. Putting them in, you know, one Mm -hmm. on the other because it's really hard to get honey to mix into things, especially if it's just room temperature. You could Mm -hmm. also put your jar of honey into some warm water for a little bit. So it gets it's not really heated, heated, but it's it's runny runny. runny. and it will be easier to work with. But if you're like me, I usually start making things. I'm like, oh, oh, well, I got to deal with this. And so I'll (laughs) put the alcohol in first and then cover it with honey. Hmm. And that, and then you let it steep for at least a couple weeks, but you can let it steep for a month or longer, shaking them regularly so everything all combines, and then strain it out, and you've got your syrup, and it should last for at least a year and often longer as long as your alcohol percent is good enough to preserve that, which usually it is. And mm-hmm. if
1: we get further into the season, let's say it's like, you know, first frost has already come and obliterated my whorehound patch. Could I use whorehound tincture? in place of oh, yeah. the alcohol, like just do the same things, but just do like three ounces of the tincture.
3: So I've done that with, with horehound, whorehound and dark. I've also done that with cherry bark tincture where I just take yeah. the, you know, I'll maybe do half or two thirds the tincture and then fill the rest up with honey. And that just gives it that soothing. Cause honey is good for coughs yeah. in mm-hmm. and of itself yes. and it tastes nice, which is also pleasant. And so you can just do that 50 50. And if you can't, or however, Proportions. There's a lot of flexibility there. And uh, you can also do a more simple syrup. So if you just wanted to do like just plain honey, you could do that. You might find that it does go bad more quickly because of the fresh juices yeah. that are mm-hmm. in it without water, right. any alcohol mm-hmm. or heating it or anything like that to evaporate out that moisture. So that is one of the downsides of doing a straight raw honey process. Right. But you just cover it up with the herb and then you just kind of turn. You can't really shake jars mm-hmm. of honey. No. But <laughs> you just go and every day or so you just turn the jar over and then, you know, exactly. it's on this upside down for a little while. And the next day you turn it right side up and that will gradually keep things mixing. So the fresh herb material isn't on top getting funky. Mm-hmm. And then you'll To strain it out, you just take that whole jar and plunk it in some warm water to get it runny, and then you can strain it out. And you could make some tea with the dregs, although, as we've already commented, uh, making tea with this particular herb is not not that tasty. But it does still work. And you could use dry herb. Horhound actually dries just fine, and it keeps... Uh find dry too but as we mentioned in the last podcast when you buy dry whorehound commercially the quality is terrible and i don't know why it is because it's like i said it's not hard to dry and it keeps pretty well once it's dry but if you dry your own homegrown you could do an herbal honey with that dry and then that will have a much better shelf life than doing it with fresh Mm -hmm.
2: and for the vegans out there there are plenty of other oh
3: yeah
2: uh syrup Glycerin
3: would be a great if you, if you all, not just vegan, mm-hmm. but also if you wanted something that didn't have sugar at all, but still had that sweet, soothing right. property. Yeah. Glycerin would be great.
2: Brown rice syrup is another option. It's no not as sweet, you know. If you've got that uh, diabetes is, is an it issue a for you shelf life, because I know glycerin not as have good. A I mean, just, I think sugar just a sugar syrup is probably one of the mm-hmm. best. As far as shelf lives and I, people have issues with sugar and that's, that's fine. But if you have a shelf life concern, sugar, 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 and, and like white sugar, white sugar
3: sugar is actually better for shelf life than using like your organic.
2: Yep. Sugar, which yes. is
3: unfortunate, but it's, yeah, but it's a is. preservative. So and you can store them in the freezer too. So if you had, you know, you could have your small little bottle in the fridge right. or on the counter and then store the extras in the freezer for something that isn't quite such a good shelf life. Yes. And that would be fine yep. so that you don't have to make a fresh batch every, you know, few months. Yeah.
2: And with people that have very limited, uh, economic resources, sugar is super cheap. You can, you can, if you're out traveling and you just have sugar packets, you know you can make a quick one like you said with just the alcohol that you're talking about that the you may have made it from before and you just need a you find your coughing. so you could make a quick sh- uh, syrup with sugar packets in Adding the microwave your at your hotel or whatever and then add the teacher to it and there yep. you go yep. yeah <laughs>
1: sometimes yep. when you're traveling <laughs> sugar optimal. packets are what you have that's them.
2: exactly oh. right yep.
1: yeah Well, so, in chinese okay. medicine sugar is used as a building so when you're depleted and run down and yep. you know Kind of not quite necessarily emaciated, though if you're emaciated, sugar is potentially in help, but for folks who are really just exhausted, which often comes along with, you know, respiratory issues and colds and flus, a little bit of sugar is added to formulas to help build. And tone, which mm-hmm. is interesting yeah. because
3: from a Western herbal perspective, we usually don't want to give people a lot of sugar right. because yeah. it can also not be great for the adrenals, right? Yeah. right. Now, do you find because I don't do that many straight sugar syrups, it's just not my thing. But how long do you find those sugar syrups last? For a couple years, years. yeah, really? yeah. And do you refrigerate or do you keep it on the counter?
2: Well, for the unhoused, I mean, I oh, of yes. course am refrigerating yep. things, but I work a lot with the unhoused, so they I give them, I give my patients them. Uh, small two-ounce bottles, mm-hmm. and that keeps with it for quite a while. So some of some folks can have alcohol in it. Some folks cannot. I mean, it's a very small amount. And for some people, because they have problems getting access to regular food or even the diabetics when they start feeling that shaky, feeling like they, mm-hmm. they need glucose mm-hmm. right away, that's something that people have used um, not only yeah. just for the coughs but mm-hmm. – yeah, we see a lot of respiratory issues. Yeah, I'm always concerned with, with shelf
3: life with things that yeah. don't have alcohol. and Maybe it's because I'm in a cold, damp environment, but I've had so many things that yeah. you will hear people say like, oh, it's got a really long shelf life. And then, you know, oxymils and things like that. And I'll go to pull them out a couple months later. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's it's me definitely now. not. Or even glycerin extracts mm-hmm. that are cut with water but made with fresh plant material, yeah. yeah, I've had those go bad. So now I just, if I do a glycerin extract with fresh plants, I just use 100% glycerin. It's, uh, glycerin is expensive. That's one of the, down, and it's a more processed substance, but That's it is true. sugar-free and alcohol-free, but yet tastes sweet.
2: And it has a longer yeah. shelf life. Yeah. yeah, and you can really extract for a long time with glycerin too, which is really okay. nice.
3: And you can do the simmered still method, which is in the book elsewhere, but I got it the idea from uh, Stephen Horn and... Thomas Easley. Yeah. Where, and th- that's a great one to do with these lung herbs and your coughs herbs. And it's something you can also do with the aromatic herbs where you put your glycerin and your herb material in the jar, do a canning jar and leave about an inch of space as if you were going to, and basically you water bath can it. So you'll use your canning lid and then you'll simmer it for maybe like 20 minutes or you could go longer if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But because you've got the lid on it, it keeps... Most mm-hmm. of those aromatics right in the jar and just transfers them very quickly into your glycerin, and then you let it cool, it's gonna be really hot, and then you just open it up and strain it out, so you're done within. An hour or two hours, however long you nice. decide to simmer it and then let it cool. And you don't even have to wait weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What's I've the name of that? it? That's done. a simmered still method. So I think yeah. I know Stephen Horn is one of the guys who originated it. And you'll hear yeah. Thomas easily talk about it. I don't know if he learned it from Stephen or if he had also come up with it on his own.
1: They mm-hmm. have it in there, the book that they wrote, The um, Modern, Modern Herbal, Herbal Dispensatory. Dispensatory, which is a great yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, I've done that with uh, Lemon Balm. Yes, yeah. I've done
3: it with, I've done it with lemon balm and catnip. That's actually one of the yeah. simmered still glycerate yeah. recipes in the, yeah. the digestion, the digestion section. And, uh, and it's neat because Steven is from kind of Mormon country out in mm-hmm. Utah. And so lots of folks out there do not use alcohol at all. Yeah. And so he's been oh. very creative in learning alcohol-free methods, right. of yeah. making great extracts, both for his own practice and himself, and then also as a consultant to different businesses Uh and so that's how they came up with that
2: that's a good idea yeah if you need it you got to use it yeah i just did a catnip syrup last night for the folks in our they love it it's so So good at soothing anxiety and and stomach issues and etc so simmered still method
3: Mm, yeah it's a bit of a game changer i was never really into glycerides and now with that i'm like all right, I can get into this a little bit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm, Plus, I yeah. do have an increasing amount of students who, for various reasons from allergies and religious preferences to also you know, alcohol addiction issues mm-hmm. in the past, don't want to have alcohol. And so I'm trying to expand because I am kind of an alcohol herbalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah. trying to expand my repertoire of options that are alcohol free.
2: Yeah, we all need to do that as we're working with a more diverse population. Oh, that's and and also as we're becoming more and more aware of how these plants and the and the sugars and everything works in our body. So, yeah, that's well. Great. I've been
1: finding that it's good to avoid alcohol, and especially like when you're looking at women that are moving through like perimenopause or moms who are trying to recover from perhaps their second or third child, where their bodies just are a little bit run down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because your liver at that point you've got so many stress hormones that your liver is trying to process. Plus, you're reaching an age where your hormones are kind of surging and unbalanced. Mm. Yeah. And so that. finding ways to avoid the alcohol, even when it's just a little bit in a tincture. Yeah. And I don't too actually worried. worry
3: about that little bit in a yeah. tincture. I mean, certainly having you – know, and that can be yeah. hard for women to – because I, I like my glass of my cocktail or yeah. my glass of wine at night, but that can really do a number on hormones, cancer risk, digestion, sleep, and so many yeah. things. So, well, that's that part of, but yeah. I really don't worry about, you know, up to a certain point, like I don't really like to take more than one teaspoon of tincture mm-hmm. right. at a time yeah. because right. there is, especially since I work with pretty high proof alcohol, there is that alcohol impact from that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So and it can be I triggering, know, like you and said. Yeah, And mm-hmm. I know that a lot of times the women that I'm working with, they're going to drink their, their beer or their glass of wine once or one or two a day anyway. So I'm like, okay, how can I eliminate as much as possible? Cause I'm not necessarily, they won't, they don't want to change yeah. that aspect. I get it. You know, personally, right now, that's I don't worry about related. that. Mm-hmm. But I do want alcohol
3: free yeah. options for folks who yeah. you know, have allergies or Right, religious yeah. reasons, or you know, some folks. I've had clients who have you know are recovering alcoholics, and they're right. totally fine with taking tinctures. Mm-hmm. But then I have others who may not be, or if they don't know, we just automatically look for another alternative. Right. But if they already yeah. know they've taken our tinctures, they're like, "Yep, I'm fine with that." I'm like, "Okay, great, we'll, we'll work with that." Because I have nice. more it's flexibility. Easier. They have yeah. much better shelf life. Alcohol extracts herbs so much better than most yes. other solvents do. But it is nice to have. Yeah, and it's them. easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, it's easy. easy. A lot yeah.
1: of the a lot of the perimenopausal age remedies are like roots and barks and hard to extract. So then you have to and make it a decoction. <laughs> so yeah, they don't, don't really know. want to make a tea. Yeah, right. and then you have to do this decoction, and it's all a question of does the person really will they actually follow through? So tinctures mm-hmm. are easier for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Wow. Ooh, there mm-hmm. we
2: go again. Every time Solvancy. we sit and talk to you, yes. we have tons and tons and tons of stuff that we have to sort through because you are a wealth of information. Oh,
1: and, you know, if you guys have enjoyed these potential recipes and got excited and actually I hope you did grow your long tonic garden or went out and sought you know, the wild versions like mm-hmm. the mullein and the Not climbing
2: over the garden wall like uh the Rapunzel right. story. To, yeah. Yeah.
1: So if you did that and you enjoyed that, you should really take a good look at Maria's book. Yes. She has so many wonderful recipes. I love there's a large selection of different potential gardens. It's the kind of thing that you could use for quite a few years in a row, just slowly going through and adding going through and adding just the four or five herbs yeah. for each different type of garden. You don't need
3: a hundred herbs in your garden. You can no. start off with mm-hmm. five. And that's yeah. often, you yeah. know, if those are well chosen for your needs. That might be sufficient. And then you can always build over time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the book, it's available anywhere books are sold. If they don't have it, they can order it for you, but certainly you can get it online yeah. and But if you get it through me, uh, if you go on my website, wintergreenbotanicals.com and order a signed copy through me, you'll also get a bunch of bonus items. So Mm -hmm. there are some remedy making videos so you can learn how to make teas and tinctures and making specific recipes from different chapters and gardens in the book. And then also there are a whole bunch of extra eBooks on medicinal mushrooms and extra profiles of plants like magnolia and peach and other things that you might not really think of in a medicinal way. yeah, they're awesome, awesome medicines, and uh, and extra recipes and so forth. So you can get those if you order through me as right. opposed to yeah.
1: other places. So, and the, worth name, it, so the name, people, name of the it.
2: book: Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies: How to, oh, how how to create a customized herbal garden to support your health and well being by Maria Noel Groves. And she also has another book out, uh, Body Into Balance, which we have a review of. Both of these books on the Practical Herbalist website, so you can check that out, and there are links there as well. And we have our
3: last podcast where we gave a little bit more information Mm -hmm. and also talked more about the individual herbs that we've been making remedies with.
0: And if you wanted to hear Maria Noel Gross talk about the other book, it is only available to Herbal Nerd Society members because it's old. That's oh, time, the yes, first I, uh, one. That's
2: right. Yep. Yeah. So, if you want to hear that
0: podcast, you might want to become a member. And right. you really should because it yep. is
1: really quite a good set of podcasts. There's two of them that we yep. did with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, we
2: have show notes uh, that you can check all the stuff out. Just click, 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 and there you go. There's all that wonderful information. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our show once again. It's always a delight to have you here.
3: Thank you. I'm always honored to be here. Oh.
1: And how can people get a hold of you?
3: Well, of course, my website, wintergreenbotanicals.com, all sorts of free information about herbs on there, and you can get podcasts and just all sorts of stuff on there under the Learn More About Herbs. But you'll find out more about my business as well, consults, classes, and writing. And then I am on Facebook at Wintergreen Botanicals, and then I am on Instagram at Maria Noel Groves, and I'm pretty active on both of those. And I have a mailing list, which you can get to through my website or or also through Facebook. And I send out about one email a month with recipes and links to articles.
2: Oh, that that sounds nice. Okay. Well, thanks again. Hooray.
0: And if you want to get anything from us, more from us, like uh, information from our Instagram feed Mm -hmm. or our Facebook You can join in the conversation there. And, of course, join the Herbal Nurse Society and get access to all those old articles and an ad-free reading experience. That's all available. It's all available there. So we look forward to having you on our website. Yeah,
2: Questions and comments, we also welcome
1: those. And until then, put an herb on on it.
0: The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease.